Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have another legend of a guest. It is Josh Hinger. He is the multiple-time ADCC world champion, Nogi. I, I think I got that one nope. straight. Damn it. It's okay. We're butchered gonna keep, it. Well, I butchered it. Don't worry. Josh, Josh I wish I was multiple-time ADCC world champion. <laughs> you know what? Maybe we're talking in the future tense. Um, we'll just brush that off. We've already talked about that. Don't worry. Um, today, we're going to be talking about, specifically with Josh, in Thailand at Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA and his connection there. So more content about his stories. There's tons of stuff on YouTube and podcasts, some great content out there. Go check it out. Um, but we're going to focus specifically on Thailand. So that's to come. If you're sick and tired of listening to me talk right now, there's timestamps below. You can click and go watch different chapters, uh, what Josh is probably chatting about. And that's probably why you're here. Uh, I'd love to check out my checklist. I'm, I'm going to get there soon. Uh, where I'm perfect on it. Anyways, not yet. Fruiting Body Podcast is a medicinal mushroom company located on the island of Phuket. We're doing lion's mane. We're doing reishi. We're doing cordyceps. It's coming out January 2023. Uh, so be on the lookout for those products. It's all natural, all, all organic. And it is, I'm not going to swear. It's amazing. Um, last thing uh, before we get this started. Um, actually, no, we're good. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, okay, <laughs> so we'll kick it back over to Josh. Again, first, thanks a lot, buddy, for coming to join us. We know uh, Alex is probably pissed off. He wants to, he's not too happy. He was trying to get you to. Yeah, they were trying to get me to stay in the class. Yesterday, I taught the class uh, Thursday uh, morning, and there wasn't too many people because uh, it was kind of unexpected. I had to cover for Alex because his dog murdered a cat, and uh, he had to go take care of that. So <clears throat> I ended up covering the class, and then uh, I think word got around that I was teaching classes now, and then everyone showed up today, and then I was like, oh, sorry, guys, I got to go. Yeah, because what that class starts at what like ten a.m. ten a.m. Yeah, because yeah, usually I see you guys getting going like right after Woody's hit class. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing a private lesson in the morning, and I was, so I was there teaching, and then people started showing up, and I think they just assumed I was going to teach the class, and then I dipped out. And oh, sorry, Alex. Or hey, this is for bank. This it's is okay. for the gym. It's okay. You know, we're we're gonna try to continue to promote it as well. Yeah. Well, we had to we had a limited time frame we had to take advantage of, so yeah, that's why we had to knock it out today. So and we'll we'll be in. Uh, which you have a hard stop or. We're, we're usually about an hour max. I don't care. Yeah. Anyways, I'm, we I'm, put them on the spot on live. So no, it's all good. We go them. until we finish. Yeah. Um, we're going to, let's peel it back a couple layers. Yeah. Um, first, again, like I explained to the audience, there's a lot of content out there specifically with fight lore. I found that was a good uh, interview piece of content that really dove deep into who is Josh Hanger and, and bringing it back to Turkmenistan. Turkmenistan Not, yeah. I said Turkmekistan earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that connection, which... Um, brought you to Thailand. Could you kind of walk a, walk our audience through that, like your actual connection? What were you doing before and what brought you here? The first time I came to Thailand? Like first time? First time ever. Yeah, I was in I was in the Peace Corps um, serving in a village in uh, Turkmenistan, middle of nowhere. This is just so you guys know, it's above Iran, just north of Iran, south of uh, Uzbekistan, which is south of Kazakhstan, which is south of Russia. Right next to Afghanistan, in between Afghanistan and the Caspian Sea, this is Turkmenistan. It's just a big black hole of sand. It's a big sand pit, a black hole of knowledge. Um, nothing, anything that goes in never comes back out again. It's kind of like North Korea. Really? Yeah, it's like North Korea, but without the genocide. I've been to North Korea. Have you? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, well, that's, another, that's a long one. Yeah, sorry. so it's, like, it's kind of like that. The president's kind of kooky. He has like an iron fist, and he'll wipe, your, uh, wipe you out and your family. If it's you all say. communism there. It's like the Soviet Union still exists. Yeah, it's like a, sh a small version of the Soviet Union that's still alive and well. 
Now, and and he's kind of like stolen. Is it easy just to go travel and visit or you need like, you know, places like Saudi Arabia, you need pretty it's, uh, it's high almost, level paperwork? It's almost impossible to get there. Really? Yeah, you can't go. You can't go there. Maybe you maybe like North Korea, you can sign up for a tour group. That's yeah, and they're going to take you to the capital city. And they're going to show you what they want to show you in the exactly. capital city, but you're not getting away from that tour group, and you're going to stay on that path. Wow, I didn't know that it was like because I know the the other countries out there. I mean, you got Georgia, Azerbaijan, like this whole area. I'm well, besides probably Afghanistan as well, but Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, these countries you can travel freely. It's Kazakhstan is pretty easy to go to. Yeah, um, Uzbekistan, I don't know, Turkmenistan, nah. This no. is a hermit country. It's a, it's very difficult to get there. You have to have a good reason. What's it like there? Like, can you I, again? Because I've I, I've been to I can't countless countries living in Asia about twelve years. What's it actually like there? It's you're saying it's. What do you mean by a sand hole? It's like, a it's a big sand desert. Really, and it has five cities, and they're it's about the size of California, but turned on its side, and there's five cities sparsely distributed around the country. Um, there's about five million people that live in the entire country. They have a massive amount of natural gas resources that they sell to Russia, and then Russia flips and sells to yes. Europe. And um, so they actually have a lot of potential for, for, they could be like Dubai. They have so much natural gas, but the government and the president specifically just keeps all that money, and the, the people are living in utter poverty. Mm. There's, there's farmers. They have to grow their food, otherwise they, they die. Yeah, I heard it's kind of like this in Brunei as well. That's the one other country I haven't been to in Southeast Asia. And same thing. It's kind of you get these uh, sultans, yeah, just controlling everything. It's terrible. It's terrible. The the, the people there are so nice, and um, they just you know they're they're afraid. You know they're really afraid of of saying anything wrong because then they get the, they get axed. Um, yeah, you know, I heard. So I heard you're teaching English there. You're part of the Peace Corps. Yeah, How yeah. does that work? That the dynamics behind that, even being able like to get in, like does the the is Peace it the Corps UN? was the only way you could get in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, we, and. The Peace Corps operates under invitation of the president of the country. So we, if the president doesn't want you there, you're not going to be there. But they had invited us, and uh, we were there. And the only thing they wanted, we had multiple services that you could offer, but they only wanted English teachers. This, you could do uh, AIDS education. You could do business development, environmental protection stuff. You, there's various uh, health education. But really, they just wanted English teachers. And, and even... Even if you tried to help them with anything else, they'd be like, hey, hey, just, just teach, me, teach me English, you know? Because that's their only ticket to get out of that country. You can't leave the country if you only speak Turkmen. Where could you go? You know, maybe you could go to Turkey. Maybe. But you're going to struggle. You know, and that's like a Spanish speaker going to Brazil. Like, you could probably get by. So the language there, it is similar to Turkish. Turkish well. and Turkmen, same family. Okay, yeah. and it's and then obviously they must fu fu fully understand Russian as well, I would assume. Only in the cities they speak Russian. So okay. in the villages, not so much. I lived in a village, a very small village. Um, and the, uh, probably the nearest city was about a three-hour drive, and you had to hitchhike to get there on the highway. And then we were about 12 hours from the capital. The roads are very dangerous. So you, it, even traveling is, is just crazy dangerous because the roads are just in horrendous condition. The cars are very old. The drivers don't wear seatbelts, and they refuse to let the passenger wear the seatbelt. This guy, one time, actually reached over and undid my seatbelt. He's like, you don't need that. And I was like, why do you, why do you care? Let me wear it. I'm going to wear it because probably they're taking shots of vodka right before they get in their car. Like, I had a guy pour me a shot of vodka while he was driving me one time. Mm. And they pass, they, they all drive in the center of the road, and they just move at the last second to, to get around But people. it's probably just a basic two-lane, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, just, it's just, I mean, it's just 
you're asking for disaster. And when, when there are car crashes and there are a lot of them, they're horrendous. Just carnage. Yeah, absolute carnage. Because yeah, because they're both going down the same lane 100 kilometers. No one hour. wears their seatbelts. And they just, the guy told me, he's like, you don't need that. Don't worry. I don't want to die either. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Click. It was just bizarre to me that they, and he was like almost offended. He was offended that I, I didn't trust him mm-hmm. to not crash and kill us. Um, and so these places, I mean, it's, I can't, I'm trying to like visualize it like in terms of like, would you compare it to any, like say Cambodia in terms of poverty or is it like on another level? No, it's not uh, that, you know, a lot of families have their own little farm and they have all the family lives in one house and they do okay. And they trade whatever they have with their neighbors and the villages, you know, they all to kind of take care of each other. Um, so in terms of like suffering, they're not suffering. They have food, they have water, they have houses, but they have like very little amount of money to actually work with. If they wanted to go to the market, like they're just trading eggs for potatoes. It's like every day's hand to mouth. Like yeah. Just whatever you make that day. But they don't really need cash. Yeah. They don't need too much cash, actually. The, uh, the natural gas flows for free to the citizens. And, the, and this is like a big talking point for them. They're like, oh, well, natural gas is free in Turkmenistan. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, they're, they're like, is it free in America? And I'm like, no. And they're like, huh, Turkmenistan's so great, you know? But there's no health care, maybe. I mean, they don't know. That. Yeah, they, they, there's so many things that they don't have. They don't even, they, they don't even have freedom of speech. They don't have any, you know. Um, but what, you don't know what you don't have because you never had it. Right. So they actually, mm-hmm. they're, they're aware of their oppression, but they just understand that if they keep their mouths closed about the government and politics, they're going to be okay. And the government will leave them alone and they can just live their lives. If they have a car, this is pretty much their source of income because again, there's no public transportation. So everybody's hitchhiking. So if you have a car, you have a source of income. You just got to drive around, pick people up, drive them to the city, drive back, go to the market, come back. You can make some cash that way, but you don't really need cash, right? Because you're, mm. you have a farm. I wonder if they're also closed off and is the internet restricted like it is in places oh, yeah. like China? Oh yeah. There's like one cafe in each of the five major cities that you can go to for some dial up internet. And there's probably a government soldier, not a soldier per se, but a suit mm. standing there observing who's going in and out. And, and he's actually there to intimidate everyone. To make sure you're not trying to do, yeah. Yeah, just like, oh, just letting you know that they're watching you. So don't go on the internet and say something you don't need, that you shouldn't say. Or maybe you're trying to apply to a university and you're trying to get out of the country. Well, if that's the case, they will probably try to make it difficult for you. You know, so a lot of the Turkmen students, they apply to go to the American University in, in Bishkek and in, in, uh, Kyrgyzstan. Mm-hmm. I've heard stories of the the fsb or the knb or whoever whoever it is the, the security services going onto an airplane that's about to take off and pulling students off the plane they're like no you're not going like you're not leaving you're not leaving wow. yeah you don't you need like an exit visa if yeah. you're a, if you're a citizen of turkmenistan they have to approve you to leave you know yeah, which is crazy to me they're, they're prisoners i didn't realize it was that bad they're prisoners in their own country um that the time that you went to Turk, Turkmenistan, you I was listening to in a recent interview that you're still at that level of that blue belt. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of that the only time you really took off from jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you transitioned back into jujitsu after that, was it an easy transition? Were you able to train at all when you were there? No, no training was possible. Um, but they did have a, a, a bit of a wrestling history. Turkmen people like to wrestle and it's called Turk. They call it Turkmen Sambo. And it's crazy. 
<clears throat> and they actually put me in a village where they had a, a, a bit of a wrestling history. And in that village, one time a year, they host a, a wrestling tournament. And, but it's a kind of crazy, it's kind of Sambo-ish, right? You put on the kimono top, you put on your belt, but you just wear shorts. And you're just in a dirt field. And you have to stand chest to chest. And I put my right hand behind your back and I slip it under your belt. And then I wrap around and I grab the belt. So I'm kind of, and then you do the same thing to me with your right hand. So we're kind of locked and loaded. And then they say, go. And it's the first person to pick up the other one and drop him wins. That's it. It's crazy. And they're just dropping each other on the, on the rocks, you know? Jeez. And uh, I remember they had this, this tournament and, and they knew that I was a wrestler. I told them. And they were like, Josh, go out and wrestle, go out and wrestle. And I was like, fuck no, fuck no. I was like, they're going to put me against the biggest Turkmen they have. He's going to drop me on my collarbone probably and break it because I don't know how to use a belt grip like the way they do. Mm. And um, and then what? And then where am I going to go? What hospital am I going to go to? That, that piece of shit building down the street with uh, the quacks? You know, like I saw them try to repair a kid's arm that dislocated by pulling it straight and smearing egg over it and wrapping newspaper around it. And they, it was all dislocated, but they made it like straight. You know, it should be like yeah, here, yeah. like in a sling, huh? You know, I'm not a doctor, but even I know enough. But their doctor did that. That's it. The, the medical uh, situation in Turkmenistan is horrendous. Horrendous. They share needles, bro. The doctors were sh share needles between patients. I'm sure most people, I, I personally, I mean, Hans, did you even realize it was that bad there? I had no idea. They I, just have no you know, education. I Zero. Kind of, I kind of assume that that whole area like uh, Kyrgyzstan and Azerbaijan and, and uh, Kazakhstan, I thought they were kind of all similar. I didn't realize Turkmenistan was at that level. There's Turkmenistan is at the bottom. Wow. Right? Kazakhstan is okay yeah it's not a terrible place um i think uzbekistan and turkmenistan tajikistan i think those are pretty bad places i think kyrgyzstan has a bit more going for it they're a little more open they have a little more uh there's just more open so they have more education from now so they have an american university there i think valentina's from there shevchenko yeah i think so yeah um the problem is the lack of education mm. and the turkmen government does not want an educated population they want the, the guy, the president, wrote this book, which is probably the equivalent to Mein Kampf, right? It's just, a, it's just nonsense, just like babbling. Like, it almost hurts to read it. You're trying to follow it, and it's just everywhere. And it just kind of talk, it's talking about the Turkmen people. Or, it's just propaganda. It's propaganda. It's just pure propaganda, yeah, it's, and, it, and it's just not well organized, I saw not that well when written. I, when I was in North Korea, I had the same, I had the propaganda <coughs> books that yeah. they gave, and yeah. it's like, it's English, but it's giant words babbling. babbling and it's it's clearly it's been translated the worst part is when i left china i left it at a friend's house and then my friend lost this box of all my north korean stuff uh, i ain't going but that book was the one thing i wish i still had but yeah it's the same thing you're reading it and like yeah the imperial imperialism of the greatest overlord of yeah you know, the, the the number one master and blah blah oh my you're like what the fuck so is this there's the kids in grade school study this book like it like it's a textbook and the president would tell them, if you read this book cover to cover three times, you're automatic guaranteed go to heaven. Shit like that, you know, yeah, just a, a real wacky cult of personality. Yeah, and if you're programmed and like you said, if you don't know, you don't know. If you don't know, you don't if know. That's where, yeah, if you, if you don't know, you don't know. Um, well, so, on, on that note, that connection to Thailand. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, I was in Turkmenistan, and, and it's a government organization, so yep. I'm, I'm required to get three weeks vacation every year. So for my three-week vacation, we went to Vietnam, and we stopped over in Thailand first. 
And then we went to Vietnam, just me and my buddy Hans actually was his name. Oh. Yeah, he was a half German, half Mexican world traveler, spoke seven languages. And I Are thought, you okay. a half Mexican, Hans? Uh, no, I can't live up to <laughs> Just imagine, <laughs> but he looks like he acts and looks more Mexican than he does German. His father was German, but his mother was Mexican. So you look at this guy, and you're, oh, clearly he looks Mexican, but his name is Hans. And, it's, uh, and he speaks seven languages. Very interesting character. Just a quick shout out to uh, Five Star Marine. Five Star Marine's been helping uh, support this podcast. They're basically just kind of uh, covering our bills so we can operate. And I'm not out of pocket every other month, but go check them out. They are a, uh, it, it's like a VIP uh, speedboat tour company on the island of Phuket. Um, they're doing some great stuff. If you don't want to deal, you know, with the typical salesmen selling you speedboats and taking you to where you don't want to go, these guys are the ones that are going to give you that private tour. So links in the description. Check that out. Great. And you, so you guys were, you're, you went to Vietnam, and then my understanding of the story is you kind of came back to Bangkok. Bangkok missed the flight, but there's only one flight we, once we didn't, a week. We don't miss it. The, di the flight didn't come. The flight didn't <laughs> Turkmen Airlines. So that, that time you're there wait, a week, were you just staying in Bangkok or did you take the opportunity to kind of travel a little bit around? No, we stayed in Bangkok and raged. Oh, God. Yeah, we raged. Yeah. What was it, Kosan Road? Kosan, yeah, no, no, you name it. Yeah, There's, that's, there's that's definitely some... some the my, devil's den out there. Some of my DNA is somewhere on the asphalt <laughs> of <laughs> that street. <laughs> I'm sure I got a couple kids out there running around Kosan. I'm, I'm specifically referring to vomit. Okay, I got you. <laughs> that's why I said the street. <laughs> I was, yeah, I those places are... I, they're brutal. I mean, I, I, I can't, I mean, 36 now, like this is, I find after 30, everything changed. Yeah. It's just like, I, you, yeah. if I, if I go out one big night, I'm done for three. Yeah. And it's, uh, I can't party. I don't do it anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's that kind of like Matthew McConaughey dazed and confused saying like, you keep getting older and they stay the same age. Yeah. I feel they get younger. I went to CoPP like, uh, with my girlfriend a week ago and like some of the kids there are like 17 and you're at the bar and just like, it's crazy. You're like, I could be your father. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I think that was the reality check about two weeks ago. I'm like, all right, fuck, I'm old. It's official. Yeah, I'm 40. So, yeah. like, I'm on another level. 36 was all right. Just wait until you pass, like, 38. Then it changes even more. Do you notice how that can affect, like, yourself as a professional athlete? Like, do you have to apply more rest, more stretching? Oh, yeah. What have you changed in oh, your... Yeah in your your routine to be able to you know stay competitive and stay at that elite level you really have to prioritize self-care like it's a massive priority and and i don't stretch enough um which is my my problem um i'm trying to be better about it. i'm doing more mobility exercises those have been a massive help the mobility exercises that are most uh uncomfortable too like the really hard ones that really kind of make you feel awkward and you're like really struggling if you keep the routine, it gets easier. And I really found that helps a lot with just opening up your chest. Did you join the Bengtow's Gym's new mobility class? I think it's at a now. It's Anwar. Really, it's at 1130 now? Yeah. 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 Are you are you in that class now? Or I haven't yet because I was just teaching that camp at okay. Bengtow all week. So I didn't have the time to do it. I had a small window in the afternoon to rest and I had to, I had to take advantage of that. But I am going tomorrow. Who's teaching that? Class? Anwar. Anwar. Who is Anwar? I don't think I've seen this. I is, he's very interesting mm. in a very, in a, I mean, not in a good way. He's very nice. Um, he really cares a lot about helping people. And he helped me out with my elbow, right? I've had this problem. I don't know if you guys can see. I'll put my arm kind of sideways so you guys see. I can't extend my elbow all the way. Mm. See how it's kind of kinked, right? Where this one I can extend all the way. You guys see that? Yeah. So I've had this problem for a few years, actually. Um, and I don't know what exactly what happened. I was just training one day and then I, I finished training and it just felt weird. And the next day, my, mo my range of mobility was just completely shot. 
I could, I, I mean, I could, I could move maybe this much. I, cu I couldn't touch my shoulder at all. You know, can you touch your shoulder? Yeah, yeah that's normal, right? Most people should be able to do that, right? I can't even get close on this side. And I can't open it too much. It's but, a ligament it, but it was or? worse. Ah, I have no idea. So Anwar got a hold of it. I've had a lot of massage therapists look at it. Um, some physios. Um, they just think I had some trauma, some hyperextension trauma. It, it was multiple injuries that happened in a short period of time. And in each each time I got re-injured, it definitely hadn't healed from the prior injury. And I and then I went to the gym one day and tried to work out when it was still injured. And I think that was just the, the end of it. it. Just pushed it to that. Next yeah, time. I really fucked one up. One second, I'm gonna. I just noticed something hilarious. If you look behind you, we usually put this like. See this light behind you here? It's the Christmas episode. No? It's the. Is it the Christmas? It's definitely not the Christmas. It's gonna come around Christmas. Yeah. So I was like, all right, we'll launch yeah, this maybe, on Christmas. Maybe we leave that. We, we will leave it. All right. Yeah, as relevant to the go. season, right? We're all right. That this is officially the Christmas episode. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so. <coughs> for that type of like re rehab you'll be working you'll be working with anwar and you so anwar just kind of has a very different approach to loosening up things that have been maybe injured and so what he explained to me is he believes there's a, there's a there's a layer around the bone he calls it the bone skin i'm sure there's a more technical term for it i don't know what it is i didn't even realize bone had skin mm. but there's a, a some kind of filmy layer and it's basically like a sock on your foot and imagine the sock gets rotated around your foot so that it doesn't feel quite right, mm. right? You know, if your sock was like pivoted 90 degrees around your foot, it wouldn't feel right. It would still fit. Mm -hmm. So he thinks the bone and the bone skin have some slipped out of position, probably from repetitive motion. I, this is my guillotine arm. I'm constantly twisting and, and squeezing the shit out of it. I always just thought I just overworked it, you know, and I thought, oh, my, my tendons and ligaments are just frozen up. So he's trying to unwrap it. And so he's like grabbing a hold of the arm and he's kind of moving it around and he's like twisting it kind of like, you know, you used to do those skin burns yeah. like this, kind of like that, but more with the bone trying to, he's literally trying to reposition my bone in my arm. And I'm not going to lie. It was a little wacky what he was doing. And he worked on me for a straight hour and a half. I just laid on my back and he was just like twisting and pulling and then we had to sit up and I'm, I'm open-minded. I said, look, this guy probably knows more than I do. So I'm going to let him do his thing. And to be honest, it feels a lot better. I have a lot more mobility now after just one or two sessions. And the sharp pains that I would feel sometimes when I'm just doing this, I would feel these crazy sharp pains that they're gone. So progress has been made. So it is as strange as some of the things that he does are, I'm, I'm going to let him keep working on it. Yeah, so. I mean, it doesn't seem that far-fetched. I've visited some physio guys on this island before where I had um, uh, lower back pains and uh, it was a type of therapy where like I laid down and they literally took their fingers and like drove it through my stomach where they go like pretty, they have, to, it takes like 20 minutes. Literally reorganizing something inside of you. Well, they're trying to say they, they, a lot of these guys, they think you're, you're not aligned properly. Your shoulders aren't aligned and you understand that con how you right. can roll things back, set sure. them back. And they think maybe there's certain parts of your body that aren't aligned. Like you, you have an ankle injury, but maybe it actually comes from your knee because your knees, little things like this. Yeah. Holy shit, that was painful. Like when they just jamming it. Now yeah, yeah. that stuff, I'm not quite sure because I'm like, if I told him my ankle was sore or my shoulder was sore, he's still just gonna drive his fingers through my stomach. So it's like, get a big, you know, that uh, woo woo science type. I had of someone shit. get up in my armpit with their thumb. Shit. Yeah, because they were trying to release my pec, thinking that it was connected to my tricep, connected to my elbow, and I said, okay, well we can try, but oh my god, it was horrible. Yeah. Especially when they get, or if they get under your pec into your pec minor. Ugh. 
Yeah. Um, let's bring that connection <coughs> now. Are, are we we're allowed to uh, explain? You you are an an investor and yep. part of Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA. How did that connection all come together? So Alex was my jujitsu student in Arizona back in 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, and this is when I started teaching. I was a purple belt and I was teaching at this MMA boxing gym that had a full weight set and a mat in the corner. And he was just a, a university student at U of A uh, right around the corner from us. And, and he was, he had some wrestling experience. So he came into jiu-jitsu class and I taught him and, and this, you know, I had a pretty solid core group. I had like maybe 10 or 12 really dedicated athletes who would show up every single day and really wanted to improve. And he was one of them. And, um, these were like kind of my first students ever. I was purple belt, right? I had just started teaching. I didn't even know how to teach. I was just trying to figure it out. I'm like, hey, okay, guys, well, this is what I like to do. And I didn't have an instructor myself at that time. I was a nomad, a ronin, right? I was just floating around, training. Um, my coach, my previous coach had split and went to Texas, and the team that we had fell yep. apart. So <clears throat> I was kind of on my own and just trying to figure out jiu-jitsu through trial and error. And so Alex was a part of that group and uh, I coached him for about two years, two and a half years. And then he, he left, he graduated he went to China for an internship. I went to Indiana to go to graduate school. Um, and we kept in touch over the, all the years. And, um, after China, he went to, he came to Phuket. He got, he met up with Roger Huerta, got sucked into Tiger road and, and, and that scene. I was in graduate school studying finance and uh, Central Eurasian languages, which is, you know, the same region that I was living in. And I, I was there for about three years. That's where I met Andre Galvao. And, and that's where I got recruited to Autos. Uh, I got my black belt from Andre in that time. And then he, yeah, he recruited me to move back to San Diego. I finished my program. I went back to San Diego, jumped into jiu-jitsu while Alex was out here in Phuket doing MMA. But we always kept in touch. Every time he got a belt promotion from someone, he would message me and ask if it's okay. You know, so he always kind of held me as his coach. Yeah, his just to confirm, hey, is this belt legit? Because, I mean, that that's that conversation is going around the jiu-jitsu community. You'll see certain MMA guys get belts, and it's like, yeah, but is that belt actually what? Yeah. Is it, is it, is it legit? Right? Yeah, is it legit? Yeah. So he was getting belts from people that he didn't necessarily want belts from. He wanted belts from me, I guess. Um, so he just wanted my like approval. Right. And I would just tell him, yeah, look, you earned it. It's been so many years. If they want to give you a belt, that's your belt. You know, it's okay. Um, so he got purple and Brown from some other people. Um, and then that's when they kind of split from tiger. So we're talking, uh, eight years later now. Mm -hmm. So he has this idea to open bong Tao. He messaged me right when he had the idea, showed me the original location when it was just, uh, Former, it was former uh, revolution. Yeah, right? and actually it was called like Sip Song uh, P something. It was like a Mu Muay Thai gym. It was a Muay Thai gym, and Revolution's back here. It's owned by Tim. But it had uh, been abandoned. This. Yeah, it was abandoned around, uh, actually pretty much right when the, the C word hit. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's COVID, if you guys didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, we never know with the YouTube <laughs> algorithms how they, if they're like, all right, you said the word COVID, ban that oh. episode. Okay. No, I, th I think it's more if you if you went Ta in with an opinion yeah, on yeah. all that shit. Let's it's, not talk about that. No. It's, but yeah. it is. So, yeah, that... Because that, I've lived in this area for six years. Okay. 
So when these boys came in, I'm like, yeah, you're stomping on my turf now. <laughs> I was, I was, I've always wanted something like that to come just for the hit classes because I used to do Muay Thai jiu-jitsu, but I prefer the hit as I get older. It's yeah. easier. Yeah. But, you know, there's, it's a double-edged sword. You bring this great facility and now there's all these people here too. And I know, I, I guarantee you, that whole strip is going to replace. It's going to blow up. It will replace Tiger Muay Thai. It will become, and I had it'll that become Tiger Road, huh? <laughs> Yeah, Tiger Road uh, or the soy, whatever they the call soy. it. The yeah. reality is I had that conversation with George, Woody, Alex. And it and finally, like, when they came up there, they're like, why the hell have we been living down there? I'm like, I don't know why anyone lives down there, right. number one. This is you come to Thailand to train, but the soy is 20 minutes from a beach. Yeah. There's no... It was the biggest disappointment when I came out here. Right? I came out to Chalong. We're talking about Chalong if yeah, you guys yeah, don't yeah. know what, what we're talking about. So I, we came out to the my first time, I think it was 2018, January 2018. And I arrive and I just, I'm, I'm expecting jungle, tropical scene, beaches, and we're in Chalong and it's just concrete jungle and it's crowded. Yep. It's crowded, it's dirty, it's hot. And I'm like, where's the beach? And he's like, oh man, he's like, you got to ride like up around this hill. You got to go over this hill and down and it's 20 and minutes. On, and on a highway. Yeah, it's on, not it's not even a back road. Right, it's a highway, so it's sketchy on a scooter, right? Yeah. Your car, big trucks are passing you. It's it's scary, and uh, yeah, I was super disappointed. I was like, "What do you mean? I'm in, I'm in Phuket and I don't get to go to a beach. I can't train and go jump in the water. That's what I that's what we wanted, you know." So yeah, so so when they found Bong Tao, and it was I think it was Big Will, you know, Big Will. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. you know Big Will. Big Will had been living up here for ten years too, and uh, and traveling down to to Chilong to train. And they always wondered why he lived up here. They're like, why you live so far away? And he's just like, oh, I don't know. I like it up there. You know, he don't want to tell them. No. Yeah. <laughs> he don't want to tell them how cool it was. And then I think eventually Alex came up here and was like, oh, oh, okay. I see. <laughs> and then he found that location right by the beach. So now we actually have the location that we always dreamed of having. Did he reach out to you or how did that like uh, business relationship come together at that point? Oh, he just asked me if I thought it was a good idea. He's like, hey, I'm thinking about taking the spot and he has, he had this video and it was just trash, bro. It was trash. The building yeah. was destroyed. It was looked horrible. And I was like, yeah, I mean, cause they were just doing classes at his house, right? Because tiger wasn't holding classes yep. and tiger wasn't holding classes. And they had that work permit that they could hold over their head, the work visa. And they kind of used that to control their, the guys. So they couldn't go work somewhere else. Otherwise they get their work visa pulled. Yep. And so they couldn't make money cause they weren't, they didn't have work at tiger and tiger and they couldn't go somewhere else. So they were like, we're starving, you know, literally we, we need to make money. So Alex is just teaching private lessons at his house on puzzle mats. People are training for MMA fights in the front yard on puzzle mats. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think it just, he had enough, you know, he was like, Hey, we need to open our own thing. So he came up to visit big will saw what it was up here, found a location, made a quick video. He just shot me a message saying, Hey, what do you think about this? And I was like, yeah, bro, go for it. Fuck. Yeah. Do it. I'm all about it. And then when you got, in, were things moving quick when you got involved? You're like, hey, wait a minute. I want to get involved in this at a certain level. They had an investor pull out. Okay. Yeah. They had an investor pull out last minute and they were like X amount of dollars short. That guy's and regretting it now. Yeah, right. Seriously. And uh, I had just finished a big seminar tour. I was just went on a massive four month tour through Europe and I just had a bunch of cash. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I came from Europe to Thailand to visit and, uh, he asked me, he's like, Hey, I, I, we had an investor pull out or, you know, we're, we need two investors for this amount of money. Um, and, uh, it was me and Volkanovsky took over that, that, that piece that that investor had. Uh, yeah. And things are 
growing so fast. And I saw your video yesterday. I mean, so people can understand this place opened, let's call it March, April ish. It was April, like grand, that. grand opening in April. And pretty much right away, like immediately when I saw them show up and I saw 40 people in a BJJ class, before they started the construction, I looked at them like, you guys need to expand like now. Yeah. I'm like, that high season's coming. So there, you did a story on that yesterday. They're expanding. Can you talk a bit about that concept? How is it expanding? What is, what is it going to look like? So we have three areas. The jiu-jitsu and MMA mat, which is the big, the big mat space. We have the strength and conditioning area. Um, and then we have the Muay Thai area. And pretty much all three of those areas are going to expand from the, what they currently are. But we're also building it ne right next door as a two-story building, right? And so there's going to be two boxing rings on the lower level. And then there's going to be a second level where we're going to have a new mat room, where a closed mat room, like a, a, an actual room. Like we don't really have a room now, right? We're just kind of outdoors with a roof. So we could actually maybe put some AC on if we wanted to, you know, train in the middle of the day. Um, but it'll be a closed room that where we can climate control it. Um, and then there, yeah, there's going to be more, more strength and conditioning space, more Muay Thai space, more boxing, uh, maybe a dedicated boxing space, mm -hmm. right? Instead of there's a Muay Thai space and then we'll have a dedicated boxing space, um, more bathrooms, more parking, it's literally doubling the size of the gym as it stands currently because of the square footage that's coming about from the second level, right? So maybe in terms of land, we're not taking up, a, we're not doubling our space, but because we're going to have two levels on this building, um, I think the square footage is, is literally... That second level that you're, so you're talking about, let's call it the building, I guess it would be in front of the strength and conditioning. Yeah. That land there, is that going to be an entire building? Yes. With two oh, that's, that's massive. Yeah, it's massive. That's massive. Yeah. So that, that will probably, <coughs> I would assume, probably February, that building, right? Or, or you think it could be up quicker? I think they're shooting for before March. Yeah, so yeah. I think February is accurate. Yeah. yeah. I understand how construction happens, and I know that that's not going to happen. I think probably if they say March, it's going to be April. Right. <laughs> yeah, probably. Or May. Well, then but a lot of the setbacks, the rain was just been insane. Been brutal lately. Like, yeah. I mean, you were here before and it was raining and you yeah. came back and it's still raining. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've seen it all. A lot of rain lately. I've been here. Yeah. Six years. I've talked. I have friends here that have been here 25 years. Everyone you talk to is like, they've never seen this. This is insane. The wet season got extended. Yeah. You don't know. People call it climate change. I won't go down that rabbit hole of my thoughts yeah, yeah, on yeah. that. It's controversial. Right. Well, but or it's also, it? I, it? I, I, I think it's all a cycle anyways. I mean. Big cycles. Big cycles. Like, like 10, 10 thousand years. Year like cycles. that Graham Hancock stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to happen. I don't really think we can change weather patterns. I think we increase it exponentially, but... I think everyone will agree with that. Yeah. 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 I talked to one guy uh, on a... We'll There's a lot of evidence. A, a little rabbit hole on that. And he did make a good point. So I've always been on the school of thought that, you know, uh, these weather patterns, you know, ice ages, hot ages, it's all in a cycle. But I talked to one guy from the WWF, not wrestling, and he explained one interesting fact that I never even thought about. He said the problem is we are exponentially increasing. Speeding it up. Speeding it up. Yeah. And he said it's not that that's really a problem because it's going to happen anyways. But the problem is if you don't let that happen naturally, it fucks up the oceans. And it's yeah. specifically to the coral. 
He said the coral can adapt over, you know, 20,000 years. But when you speed it up that to quick. To 20 years. To 20 years, yeah. it can't. Nothing can. I never thought of it that in that It's in not that just, yeah, yeah, it's just not coral. It's like no, the, everything. the entire food chain. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I, I'm a, I mean, this, th- when I went to graduate school, the school that I went to was the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. There was an entire wing of that school dedicated to climate science. So I've just heard and seen all of it. And it is a massive, I mean, there's just mountains and mountains of data that you cannot disprove, right? You can't disprove the, what's happening. It's, it's, it's just massive amounts of data across all areas. Um, the planet is definitely changing too fast and we are not going to be able to keep up with it. And it's not that we can't, humans are quite adaptable, but the plants are not so adaptable. Exactly. The animals are not so adaptable. And if that food chain gets fucked, we get fucked. Yeah. Once Sorry, the, excuse once my French. The, once the bees go. It's Sorry. Can't yeah. be dropping f bombs. Yeah, I try not to. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's a bad habit I have. O- over the uh, the course of the past ten years, I just find like <laughs> if you can get away from swearing, you kind of come I, across more. I agree. Like professional. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Cut the podcast. Um. <laughs> um yeah. So w- if the food chain gets gets destroyed, yeah, we're gonna get destroyed too. And it may not may not be the end of humanity, but we're definitely gonna take a hit. We're gonna take a big hit. Yeah, and there could be a downspell of you know, who knows, a thousand years where things are trying to come back to life. I yeah, mean, certain. I'm worried about it. Yeah, it's something. I well, I think that's the next. They always say the war on terrorism. The next one's gonna be the. I think climate will the be the war of water. The war of water. Yeah. Right. So I live in California. We have a massive water shortage. There's well, a there's a lake that feeds California. It's called Lake Mead. And I used to go. We used to go vacationing on this lake every year. That lake is literally almost gone. It's so low. This is uh, there's a Hoover Dam. You've ever heard of the Hoover Dam? Yeah, Vegas. The Hoover Dam holds us back, right? This lake. The water level got so low that the pumps can't pull water out of it anymore. They had to build a new pump at a lower elevation to get the water out of the bottom of it. We're just sucking out the bottom of it right now. Mm. And when that water is gone, what does California do? Or Las Vegas or Arizona. All of, like All these southwestern states are going to be out of water. And if it doesn't start packing snow onto the Rockies and that snow melts into the river to create the river, to tra- create the lake, also the Hoover Dam creates hydroelectric power. So if there's water not flowing, now we're losing power. So what's going to power Vegas? Mm-hmm. That's where Vegas gets its power from. So what are we going to do? Like, we can't make water come out of nowhere. Like this is a big issue. Like no water, no civilization. Well, I was reading an article about this yesterday where they're saying like you can desalinate like ocean water. They can. It's possible. It just it costs that, a lot of money. And at that scale. And a lot of power. Yeah. A lot of energy. Right. It's, it's, so it's, uh, I forget who was saying this. Uh, anyways, you know. Neil deGrasse Tyson, no? Who was it? Maybe it was. It yeah, was maybe on, it was Neil deGrasse Tyson saying that where he's along the lines of like, well, there's a reason they import water from Fiji and they don't desalinate it. It's cheaper probably. Yeah. And there could be that point where maybe desalination is the answer, but what's the cost? And then what's the cost of water? Like Right. Yeah. Right. So it's an issue. You know, and as, as a Southern California resident, it's, it's, it's concerning. Yeah, I don't want my property value to tank because there's no water, right? Do you see yourself staying in California, especially like a lot of people are exiting more or less along the lines that, uh, you know, it's, it's expensive in it terms is expensive. of taxes. Yeah. Where is your home? Is it California? Because you are you know, moving around quite a bit as well. Yeah, my I have a house in Texas and I have a house in San Diego. Uh, but San Diego is my primary resident, and um, I won't I won't stay there. Actually, I'll just rent the house eventually. I just bought it. I'm fixing it right now, repairing it. I'm gonna paint it soon. 
Uh, and then I'm going to rent it and I'm going to move to Orange County. And I'll probably open an academy in Orange County in the Irvine area. Uh, the only other th- the only other thing that I considered doing is moving to Phuket and just staying at Bong Tao full time. Yeah, why not do that? Because I I believe I can make a lot more money with an academy. Mm. Like I can I think I, I think it'll do quite well. Yeah, there. especially the American cost, high cost. I mean, yeah, and Orange County is a nice place. Um, this is a, in, on average, high incomes, and it's it's a beautiful place. It's it's on the beach. It's close to the water. Um, it's it's a nice, clean place. South Orange County, North Orange County, not so much. But South Orange County is a very nice area. And, and I went to school there as an undergrad. I lived there for many years. I have a lot of friends there, a lot of contacts. And, um, you know, I, I, I dove into jujitsu competitions so that I could build a reputation so that I could open an academy someday. Mm. And I've done that. I've kind of accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish in terms of competition. Uh, and I've even surpassed it. But I think now it's time for me to start thinking about the next phase of my life, which is, I'm 40. I don't need to be competing anymore. Like I, I I can go out there and scrap with the youngsters, you know, I can still do it, but, but like that Khabib mentality, stay healthy while you are as well. Yeah. How much, I mean, I've been blessed that I have made it this far in a, such a high level competition scene without taking really a lot of damage. It's just my elbow a little torn up. My, uh, my knees have had some surgeries, but is that kind of the roadmap of someone that like, so, okay, so I was listening to one of your interviews and you're kind of saying your parents are pushing you like, hey, your only options are what are you going to be a wrestler? You're going to go to the Olympics. There's no money. Um, are you going to go into coaching? Like that's <laughs> this was in high school. In high school, that's what I wanted to do. Right. I said, I just want to wrestle. And they're like, but there's nothing in like, it. You can't do that. And then the only option maybe to make a business is always going to be the coaching. But you said, well, no, I want to actually compete. Is th- What is the roadmap for someone like, that you would give advice to your younger self, like, okay, let's start here. Would you change anything different to what's brought you to where you are today? Well, it's so interesting actually, because I think a lot of competitors believe that they need to compete and win titles so that they have the credentials to open an academy. But actually there are thousands of academies around the world ran by people who were never competitors and are very successful. And I have quite a few competitor friends who are my opponents actually um, who have academies and they told me, they said, look, you're going to open an academy and no one who signs up is going to know who the fuck who they're going <laughs> to, <laughs> they're not going to know who you are. They don't care about your competitions. They don't care about your titles. These are just people who saw a jujitsu place when they were driving home. They were curious. They wanted to come check it out. And they have a career and a family and they don't care anything about jujitsu competition. And they're going to be white belt, brand new people. And that's going to be the bulk of your income at your new academy. And they kind of make you realize like, oh, all those years competing were kind of a waste. Because actually it's not going to matter. The people that sign up are not going to be signing up because you're a world champion. But now your level of teaching experience, you know internally, your quality is going to be at another level. 100%. I'm very confident in, in my service, yeah. And I have vast amount of experience in, in terms of competition and, and just training and, and preparing for competitions and and practicing teaching and I teach seminars well you can't teach seminars if you don't have a reason a reputation you don't have something to provide a good service I have guillotines and monoplatas I have a good little system that I can teach um, that I'm known for so teaching these seminars has over the years made me a much better instructor um, and you know I was teaching the kids at Atos for five years and I was teaching the beginners class. So 
I feel like I'm absolutely ready to open my own academy. Um, and I think when I do open it, I think it'll be quite successful because of my mm. teaching experiences. Like a, lo a long-term plan, a lot of academies, let's say like Gracie Baja, 10th Planet, for your academy, when you open it, would you have that mentality of franchising out as well? Yeah, yeah, make an affiliation. Yeah, sure. I'm going to team up, I think, with my friend Christian Woodmansey, who runs um, an academy back in Philadelphia. And his academy is called Logic, and he runs a website called Logic, uh, Logic Online or Logic BJJ Online. And actually, he's a really great instructor. Um, and he's done a lot of competitions, but just is a real great leader. And so we're going to team up, I think. And uh, he already has an existing affiliation, so I might just jump on board with him, kind of absorb him and his affiliation, and we might just start working on that together and then build a, you know, a new gym on the, on the West Coast while keeping a hold of maybe you know what he's Cre already creating kind of like these affiliates like even if they're different academy names like you're kind of partners in that sense yeah 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 like like bong tao is like yeah. is more like as an affiliate is my affiliate you know those jujitsu students are kind of my grand students mm. right alex is my my jujitsu student and they're his students and so bong tao is like a josh hinger jujitsu affiliation when People would be joining your academy, and I'm definitely not experienced enough to have that technical conversation on the BJJ, but the question is more, are you able to differentiate or categorize or put academies into buckets on their coaching methods? And how, how would you differentiate? For example, uh, 10th Planet would differentiate themselves because they're, they're using as much more flexibility, like this Eddie Bravo style. Your style, like how would you you know, define your coaching methods, your style, your gym, like my jujitsu style, like yeah, how, like, how? well, when you go to build that gym and you're going to be training these people, I'm, I'm uh, your students, I'm assuming you're going to be training them based on what you know and your experience. And they're going to be mirroring that. Okay. Would so what I'm not going to do is raise a bunch of competitors. Okay. Right. I don't want competitors. Kyle Tara talks about this a lot uh, or not a lot, but sometimes, and he says, look, jujitsu gyms don't make money from competitors. Competitors are actually a, a pain in the butt. They always want to train for free. They want to take up all your time. They require the most energy and attention, um, but they don't pay the bills, right? The bills are paid from the average family who wants exercise, you know, something fun to do, um, self-defense. And, you know, they work all day. They want to come somewhere in the evenings, get a little workout, have some fun, make some friends, be a part of a team, and then go home and live their lives. Those are the people that, that help support an academy. And that's what I want. I don't want competitors. Competitors are a pain in the butt. I've seen them. I, I am one. Well, the egos, I mean, it's hard. How are you going to check 20 different guys' egos? Right. The they're board? also the ones that are going to hurt someone because they're the ones that are training like they're, they want to be a world champion. Mm. Right? So I, I just want families. I want families. I want moms, dads, and kids. And I, I just want to teach them basic jujitsu. Like, oh, here's your clothes guard, Kimura. And, you know, I want to help them improve their lives with jujitsu because that's what jujitsu is. It's a, it's a life improvement tool. And in every aspect, jujitsu improves your lives. You make friends. You have exercise. You learn a skill that makes you more confident, right? More confident in your just ability to, to defend yourself or if, God forbid, you get into a physical altercation, right? You, you don't need to start throwing your hands, right? You know how to defend yourself and, and just just coordination, just basic coordination, um, knowing how to fall, you know? So I, I, I've seen people get hit by cars 
um, while they're riding their bikes. And because they know how to brake fall or know how to fall on a mat, they know how to land on the asphalt so to minimize their injuries. Um, happened to me one time. I got hit by a car riding a bike, and, yeah. and I rolled over the hood, and I landed on my feet yeah. on the other side of the car because I know how to do a forward roll. Um, yeah, I think, and I had a conversation. There was a, this girl, uh, um, Nomad Julia. She's kind of doing, helping gyms around here uh, create their Instagram content. And we were discussing back and forth and kind of clicked with me that that community within martial arts, um, it's also another form that you can also, you would only be able to get if you went to the army. And you're creating that, that not just like the community, but the discipline. And other yeah. people, they're able to lift you up as well. Meaning <coughs> if, if me and Hans are in a class today um, and he's going, hey, are you going at 5 p.m.? I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not feeling great. Come on, man, you got to go. Yeah, yeah. If you're at a gym lifting weights, you usually only have one partner you go yeah. to the gym with. Right. But in the Moy or sorry, in the jujitsu community, you could have like, 30. let's call it like 30 <laughs> people in your little WhatsApp group. Yeah. And that extra motivation, 100%. that discipline will get kick your ass to go there on yeah. those days when it's raining. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, oh, I'm not going. I'm I feel guilty when I miss training. Right. I feel guilty. I feel like if everyone went there and I didn't go there, I feel really bad. I was like, oh, I should have been there. I should have been there helping. Or, or I feel bad that they're improving and I'm not. Uh, well, I see it in Hans's eyes sometimes when he's super busy. Like, he's like, oh, I missed jujitsu. It's like, it's almost like a look of depression. Like, I've ah. missed it this whole week. Oh, how are you feeling, Hans? Because you've been stuck in the studio, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, this well, whole week. He's, got, he's getting a whole month. Hey, you're getting a whole month vacation in South Africa. He, he runs yeah. his own media company, okay. and then he helps with this. Um, so shout out Hans, the producer of media. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you're going to South Africa for Christmas, so you're going to be chilling out. Uh, I'm, I'll be working, and I'm up, I'm also joining that uh, CIT, uh, CIT Performance Institute, where I know you know Drakus Duplessis. He's fighting this weekend. He's fighting Darren Till. Um, he's fighting Darren Till. This oh weekend. yeah, Darren was just at Bangkok. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm tr I'm gonna stay active if yeah, I cool. can. Well, you, I think for anyone like you know, if you for me, my routine is like I need to sweat once a day, or I just need to be in the gym, even if I don't want to be there, and. It's always the first step when you really don't want to go is like, just put your shoes at the door. Yeah. And once they're there, you're like, okay, well, I have to go now. And that's why I was kind of comparing it to the army in that sense where that discipline and camaraderie and community can really kick your ass and push you to go. Because like you said, you feel bad yeah. that, you know, maybe. And also that's where all be, your friends are. It could be the competitor as well. I remember when I was doing jujitsu, one of the reasons I, I would try to go and I was going three, four times a week. Let's say you started with another white belt right from scratch and you're going three days a week and he's going three days a week. And the next week he goes four and you go yeah. two. You're like, shit, now he's got two lessons on he's me. He's got a one up on he's you. He's got yeah. a one up on you. Yeah, so the yeah. next time you go, he, <coughs> if you fall behind a couple weeks, yeah, you might not be able to compete with him anymore. That's literally what happened to me when I started training. There was, there was two other guys that kind of signed up at the same time. And yeah, we were all kind of, we had really close matches. We're all kind of neck and neck, but I was obsessed with jujitsu when I first started and i was going mornings and evenings mornings and evenings and i would stay for multiple classes mma class muay thai class jiu-jitsu class and uh slowly i started to advance ahead of them you know just because i was i was just so obsessed with it i was a wrestler so i and i loved wrestling so much and so when i found jiu-jitsu it was like yes thank you i found my thing and uh yeah eventually i i definitely surpassed them over time and uh one of them ended up quitting uh, after a few months and the other one uh, just kind of went his own way after a few years. And actually we circled back and reconnected at Brown belt. And I was like, Oh, you're still training. You know, you're a Brown belt. Cool. So am I. 
And then now we both have our black belts. And then now he opened an academy. And actually, I go visit his academy all the time. And I teach classes there. Sometimes it's in my hometown. And I always just like to tell the students that story. I'm like, look, me and this guy were white belts together. We signed up the same month and we were drilling. We were learning how to do closed guard cameras together. You know, it's just so cool to see what his life has become. And you, you, you had no idea he's at, he stayed with it. You just naturally. Not until Brown Belt. Right. Yeah. We, we totally went different directions. And then just like me and Alex went different directions. And then we kind of reconnected later. Mm. But I had no idea that this guy had kept, go, kept training. I have that a lot with the tourists that come in. Yeah. I've had a few guys that come in way in the beginning when they opened and then they left because they were just tourists. Yeah. And they come back a few months later and then they feel like amateurs again. Yeah. You know, I've just been staying there. Consistent. And they've been gone for like three, four months and now it's like getting back into it. They picked up a ton of weight. Yeah. You're teaching stuff. them a couple things now as well. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's, I mean, and it's, it's also like riding a bike. Once you fall off to get back on, it can, it can take another month. It's just like the, if you're out of the gym and you get, uh, you know, atrophy yeah, yeah. and it takes you two weeks just to get back into it where you don't feel like shit. So kind of going back to your question earlier, what, after I was in the Peace Corps, I had two years off where I didn't train at all. But when I came back, actually, I felt you know, it was slow uh, cardio wise, especially uh, muscle soreness. My muscles atrophied a lot because I had no exercise in Turkmenistan, zero. And um, exercise was actually kind of strange to them. They, they, I, would, I would go for walks or jogs and they say, why? It looks strange when you're running. It looks like you stole something. You're running away, like you're in trouble. They're like, are you okay? And you have to be careful running around in that country because dogs like to chase things that run. Jeez. And there's a lot of dogs out there. Mm. Um, anyways, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of dove back into jiu-jitsu and I felt like actually I, I, I improved massively quickly. Like I, I, I had years off, but I didn't lose it. You know, I was just out of shape. And when I jumped back into it, I felt a massive improvement in my skills. What's that, that muscle memory as well kicks right back. In. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. You, you were saying uh, recently in an interview, there was initially a guy and you call him the name Brandon. It's just funny. My name's Brendan. And you say you always rethink of him. And he was the guy that initially brought you to jujitsu without really knowing. Did you connect with that guy? I have no idea where that guy is. I, I don't, I'm not even sure if that's his name. I, th I, I think I it is. It, yeah. I think it is, but I'm not actually sure. I th it's Brandon or Brandon or something along mm. similar. But yeah, this was the guy that invited me to my first jiu-jitsu class, and we had wrestled together in high school. And uh, I have no idea what happened to him. How crazy it would be one day you reconnect and he's a black belt somehow. I'm, anyway. I think he joined the military. Yeah, that's. A, I, yeah. I heard you saying that. He might have joined the military. But so. I, hope, I hope, yeah, I hope eventually he does get back into jujitsu and like maybe he sees a podcast or something and that's the thing yeah. and maybe he'll reconnect so i can just be like hey you, you gotta just keep telling that story i am that's and what then, i'm doing and then hopefully one day he sees it yeah i'm yeah. hoping he will That'd um, be really cool yeah he just fell off the earth and i don't know what happened to him so i i, I do i just want I, I just want him to know that i he put me on this path and i stayed on it and it's 20 years later and i'm still doing it and it's my life now well, that's the beauty of social media today. I mean, you know, there's the negative aspects, but it's the connection. You can always find cool. someone in that sense where you can never become disconnected. So another story back to like uh, reconnecting with people is my I, there, in, when I was in eighth grade, what, that's at 13 years old, 12, 13 years old. Yeah. 11, 12 and 13. I had a there's three friends. We were a trio, me and two others. And it turns out one of them also was a brown belt when I was a brown belt. And he lives in Hong Kong, mm. Eric, Eric Butzenbot. You can't forget that name, Butzenbot. It's, it's Vietnamese. And um, 
I don't remember how I found him, but anyways, turned out he was training at an Autos affiliate with Rodrigo Caporal, who runs Autos in Hong Kong. And Eric Butzenbot was a brown belt and I was a brown belt. And I sent him a message on Facebook. I think Facebook maybe just made a recommendation. And I was like, oh my God, this was my best friend in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And yeah, and he's still trained. Now he's a black belt and I'm a black belt. And, and we're, tec- you guys stay we're technically on the same team, actually. Mm. But yeah, you guys stay in touch. Yeah, yeah, we chat. Yeah, we chat. I messed him a message, and he's actually in finance. Is he? He's in Hong Kong now. Still. Yeah, yeah. So he could come out here. I mean, he, that's two hour flights. Yeah. H- have you talked to him about that? He would like. Have you? I mean, have you connected with him on the level where you've been able to roll with him since? Nah, we haven't actually seen each other okay. physically. No, but we yeah we we chit chat sometimes, and uh, and I would like to. Yeah, it would be cool to see him again. Um, it's just so crazy. It just we you know at that time jujitsu didn't even exist, I think, in most of the country or the world. It, I, this is like 1995. No, that wasn't before. I was like, this is like 92, 93, 94. So maybe there was the Gracie Academy was the only academy in L.A. or something, and maybe Henzo in New York. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of started to become popular after the first UFC with Hoist Gracie and what yeah. the hell is this little guy doing? I don't think it even gained speed until the 2000s. Yeah, I mean, at least till MMA started getting going. Right. And I think probably more more recently with Rogan, to be honest, and everyone repeats Rogan, Rogan a million times on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, I think GRE helps a lot. Yeah, he. Pu- I think he <laughs> really pushed it. I mean, that's one of the reasons I tried it out. It's not for everyone. It wasn't for me, and that was more because I kept getting injured, and then I couldn't go to the gym, and I would just be like, all right, I need to pick one here. Yeah. And also, I, I'm, I am 36. I probably started when I was 33. Um, but th- it's never too late to start either. You get a lot of guys that oh. start at age 50 as well. Yeah. 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 I just saw some uh, 65-year-old lady got her black belt. You know, I think that's so cool. She probably started at 55, you know, 10 years. Um, yeah, it's never too late, you know. And, uh, and 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 those are the kind of people I want at my academy, you know. I just want, like, older people who want to to stay in shape and stay fit and, and stay active, you know. I think it's a problem when people retire, they don't have a purpose, and you just start to die, right? Your body, your body just starts to wither away. You don't, you, you know, at least for me, I like to have a, if I don't have a purpose, like I don't have a reason to live, right? And if you retire, you're not working. Well, I think you definitely need to stay active in something. Yeah, you can't be static. And ju- I just think jujitsu is the perfect thing, you know? Yeah, um, this is why I lived in China six years. And if you took like my, so my parents are probably 62, 65. And if you watch the average yeah, Canadian too. at 62, well, well, they're in Canada, so it's colder. And pretty much every winter just destroys our population because, you know, you stay inside and you're not active. Right. But if you were to take the average, you know, group of 60 to 70 year olds in Canada and put them against the 60 to 70 year olds in China, the Chinese every night after dinner, they got their little songs and dance going. They're walking around. They're hitting their arms. They're getting the blood flowing. This does not happen in the Western world. We don't have that camaraderie. Like, they'll come out of their apartment buildings. They call it granny dancing. And there'll be one lady playing her music. And it's, it's kind of like a grandma Zumba, essentially. They all know th- every song has a dance, yeah. but they're just moving. And they don't need to work out at that level. That's enough. But you need the blood to flow. Yeah. I think that's very important. And you don't see that in the Western world, especially in small towns. Yeah. No, everyone's just chilling on their sofa. Yeah. Sofa, chairs, you know, lazy the, boys. The TV, the, pr- the TV sucks them. Oh, I got to watch my program. Yeah. It's on at this time. And then that becomes the priority. And then the diet as well. But that's a whole, you know, you're eating bread, you're eating heavy things. You don't want to move after that. 
So, anyways, I think that's that's my conspiracy side. Um, we had Zhang Wei Li on the podcast, yeah. and you're in her corner. Before we jump on that experience, there was a story that she told, and you commented, you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. She was talking about how when she kind of first met you, she was so intrigued and mesmerized by, like, your level of jujitsu that she wanted more. Yeah. Um, to the point where you stayed with her, changed your sweaty clothes yeah. with Alex, and then showered and ran off to the airport. That first introduction and that experience with John, can you give your side of the story? Yeah. So uh, I came out, this was April uh, this year, 2022, and I was here for a month. We had the grand opening for the gym. Um, I gave Alex his black belt, and um, maybe they they had mentioned to me that she was going to come and the, the UFC camera crew was going to come with her and do some interviews. And I was teaching classes, and so they were just making me aware that this is going to happen. And, I w you know, so I was doing my thing, teaching my class, and I didn't realize that she was watching from the side on one day. Um, and then the next day, she jumped into class, her and uh, her, her training partner, Shui, Shui um, which means handsome. His name is actually Handsome. That's as that's as a translation of his name. It's funny, it also means water. <laughs> yeah, depending <laughs> depending on the tone, right? <laughs> the tone and the character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so I saw them, and they were just kind of doing their own thing, uh, trying to figure out the technique. And I walked over and I tried to correct them a little bit, and uh, they were very nice. And and I understood that there's an extreme language limitation here. So when it came time for training, uh, I, I I asked her if she wanted to train a little bit, and you know I know how to train with people of all various shapes and sizes. And I'm accustomed to training with children who are very small. And um, so I know how to train with her. She's a small lady. And I didn't smash her. I just kind of moved and I would move her legs. And I just kind of work on like pummeling legs. And not I didn't put any weight on her at all. But I just kept passing her guard. And she couldn't understand how I was passing her guard so easily without actually smashing her and, and, and using physical strength and weight. And just by using movement you know, just foot stepping, like Rotolo style jujitsu, right? Just a lot of movement, back stepping and side stepping and leg dragging and spinning them. And she just like, yeah, she literally just couldn't believe how I, how I passed her guard without using strength. And she said, she said, Oh wow, your guard passing is like magic. And, um, she said, how long are you here for? And I said, I, I go home in two days. And they were like, no, 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 we need you to stay. <laughs> She's like, I need you to help me, train me for two weeks. And and so we were using a translator to have these conversations. And the, the translator was like, they really want you to stay. And I was like, yeah, but I have a seminar schedule and flights booked. And I'm like, I have a thing. It's like, there's, I can't miss one. If I miss one, I, then the dominoes start to fall and then I'm going to have problems. Um, and she said, they really want you to stay and they want you to name your price. And I said, oh, it's that kind of a conversation. <laughs> okay. So... I, I, I came up with a, something reasonable, but I explained to her also that she has to rebook my flight and pay for that also because I had a flight. I was supposed to go to San Diego and then go to Chicago. Well, I skipped the San Diego leg. I just cut it out. And I said, look, I can give you nine days, a week and two days. And uh, here's the price for me and then my ticket price. And she said, we you know we sat down. We had a meeting with the translator and the manager and we worked it out. We had a plan. I said, okay, we're going to do two times a day every day, morning and afternoon training every day and that's what we did yeah we banged it out for nine days and every morning every evening and we just we had a amazing chemistry not just me and her but the whole team the manager they're so nice they're the, the they're nicest so nice. people there's the, the most generous and kind and thoughtful humans 
They're I, so down to earth. It's crazy. I love them. Yeah. I would I will go to war for them. Okay. So yeah, I stayed. We trained. We 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 had great great vibes. Good chemistry. I could teach her anything. And she like she practices it diligently. She's very focused. She's very professional. Um, she doesn't mess around too much. To, but a very genuine person, you know. And um, when it was time to go, so we. Yeah, and she, again, she knew I had to fly on the certain day, and she said, "Oh, we're you know our last training is in the morning," and I was like, "Nah," I was like, "My flight's four o'clock, five o'clock. We could actually I think it was like eight actually, but I needed to be there at five. And I was like, "Ah, oh, we can knock out some training at three o'clock." We trained for an hour, and uh, I had all my bags packed and ready. The suitcase was already at the gym in the office, and I brought my training gear, and we trained. We did our thing, and then yeah, I literally ran into the the locker room. I threw all my sweaty clothes into a bag and just gave it to Alex. I was like, hey, you just hold on to this for me. And uh, and then I just jumped in a cab and went straight to the airport. And she, she kept training here right up to that fight. She did her entire um, camp here, yeah. Then you reconnected again back in Vegas? So she knocked out Joanna, had a just just a great performance. Oh, okay, so you're with her at that point. Was I was more referring to the, the next fight with Carla. No, this is different. Oh, so this I is, didn't realize you were with her actually at that point. This was before the Joanna okay. fight, so okay. it was April. Yeah. And she invited me to go to the UFC also, um, but I, I, I had plans. Um, I had just gotten married. I was plan. I was engaged at the time, so we were we we're getting married, and then we we're doing our honeymoon in Bali. And then the UFC was in Singapore, so we like thought about, oh, could we make it? But all the COVID testing and stuff, yeah, it was yeah. it's too difficult to exit Indonesia and go into Singapore and then come back to Indonesia. So we ended up missing it, but we were super stoked to see that she won in such a dominant performance. You know, and she explained to me why she lost to Rose the second fight. She's like, oh, I couldn't, you know, I didn't know how to get up to my feet. And that was actually what she specifically asked me for with Joanna. She said, yeah, look, I just, that. she said, I just need to know how to get back to my feet. You know, I lost to Rose because she took me down and I couldn't get back up. And that's and what happened. The fifth round, Rose just kind of, she won because she held her. That's there wasn't she, yeah. anything yeah, like. That's what she told me. Yeah, that, that, that fight was turning into a coin flip, and then yeah. just Rose kind of pinned her for the last what yeah. couple minutes, and that was which makes sense, right? But yeah, so that was how we started. She said, "Look, just she's just teach me how to get back to my feet." And so I, you know, I showed her like using butterfly hooks, making space, getting up on your elbow, trying, you know, just trying using the overhook and whizzer, and uh, we just had such good chemistry, and and she had such a great result from that fight that uh, she said, you know. Let's just do it again for the Carla fight. She hit me up. She said, hey, I'm going to the United States. Um, I'm going to fight Carla. Uh, I need your help. You know, Carla's a wrestler. She's going to try to take me down. I want to have some good jujitsu. And so, yeah, she did the first, She did a month of training here in Bong Tao, and then she went to Las Vegas to the uh, Performance Institute. For about a month, a month almost, I think. Six it, weeks. Yep. Yeah, six weeks we were there. And I joined her. In, uh, okay, because, yeah, I didn't think I saw you out here when she was here no. the, after the Joanna fight. Yeah, I was... they came right back. Yeah, much. they came back and kept training. Yeah. And then uh, when she flew to Las Vegas, I was coming home from... I was in ADCC camp. That's why I wasn't here in Bong Tao. Mm -hmm. I probably would have come back and kept training with her also. But I had to train for ADCC and do that. And then I did a seminar in Italy. And then I went home for, like, three days. And then went straight to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And then we, yeah, she got an Airbnb. And I just took one of the rooms inside the house. And, yeah, it was great. I mean, we were together all day, every day for six weeks. Just me, uh, my wife, and Team China. Mm -hmm. and she was 
were you surprised what she did to Carla? Because I mean, I, I I'm, I'm pretty uh, uh, high level MMA fan in that sense. What she did, like, so she pretty much had her like in a crucifix at yeah. one point. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was. I, I, kno- I'm like, <laughs> when everyone saw that, even people you're watching were like, where the, f- where did that even come from? Yeah. Did that come specifically from the BJJ training? Like yeah. where you're drilling I that? I literally showed her that on the first week. That was, man, that was absolutely <laughs> insane. Because that's what, it, the the question of that fight for everybody is, if she gets taken down, is she going to get up? Yeah. And she, I think she wanted to be taken down, it looked like. That Carla had nothing for her on the ground. Yeah. And then when she put her in that crucifix, everyone's like, oh, this fight's done. Like She what put it, her in the crucifix right twice. Yeah, it just, first round and second round. She had no chance. So everyone... Did you get hit up a lot after that? Like, I mean, the question right away from anyone that doesn't know who you are, like, first of all, where the f- where did she learn that and who's her coach? Yeah. Were you getting hit up? Like, congratulations. Oh, what yeah. the hell was yeah, that? I got, I got just a flood of messages. Yeah. And just a lot of thank yous from Chinese people. Yeah. <laughs> all these Chinese people messaged me. They're like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for helping our champion. Thank you for helping Wei Li. Thank you for helping us. Because yeah. I think next, so she'll go to, uh, she's going to go back to China for China New Year. She said she's coming back here again. Will you be back here and training her for her she's next a, She's fight? literally flying, I think, now. I think, eight, th- it's say the 8th or 9th. Yeah. Oh, she'll be back here. No, no, no. Where oh, she, what, what's today? The 8th? Today is the 9th. 9th, yeah, yeah. So I think she's landing in China today. Okay. I think she left Vegas. They've been in Vegas this whole time. And I think they just flew on the 8th. Yeah. And they're landing in China on the 9th. Because I'm, a, she's... When I talked to her, she's basically explaining, I haven't had Chinese New Year in two, three years. Yeah, I think yeah. Chinese New Year is probably like, I think it's later January this year instead of February. And then after that, I'm assuming back she's to Bang Tao. right back to Bang Tao. Yeah. And I would have to guess she's probably going to fight that Amanda Lemos girl. I hear that name a lot. I would guess. Yeah. Now, I, obviously, she's not going to Brazil. The time's impossible. I think that Brazilian card's in January. so Not happening. Um, but then... That Amanda Lemos has great jujitsu. So will you be back here with her and kind of... And we'll do the full camp together. Right. Not just six yeah. weeks, but I'll probably do eight or ten weeks with her. Yeah, we're all in. Um, we're determined to make her the best pound-for-pound, pound, like, top dog in the in the women's UFC. We might even eyeball the belt at 125. Well, there was a bit of the Valentina Shevchenko chat. Now... From what I've seen, her jujitsu, like if you're going to go one to one with Valentina, Valentina can wrestle and has takedown defense, but her jujitsu, I think, takes her. The interesting part about women's division, the women's divisions, it's not like the men's. I always see something a little bit different. Like for Valentina to go up to Nunes, they've done it, but you can always see a pretty big difference in like, you know, weight. Like Volkanovsky will go yeah, up sure. to uh, fight Makachev. And I think you're going to see the difference there. But when you're watching guys like Kevin Holland go between like your welterweights and your middleweights, you don't see much of a difference. Now, Zhang Wei Li, so everyone, she is a shorter girl and she's probably a little bit shorter, shorter than Valentina. But For is sure. that is that the goal? Like, let's get her to that fight. And that's kind of the that's the one that's really selling the pay-per-view cards. Well, I think uh, there's no one that I think that is really a big threat to Valentina and her category right now right no no i mean the maya maya tried that was kind of close for one round oh she, no she fought that brazilian girl and then uh, it was really close her last fight Is and there was an accidental headbutt that just like split her open it was a close, they're, they're going to rematch fight, that yeah. i think yes i think whaley is the only one who can go up and 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 actually give a good fight to valentina whaley cuts a lot of weight 
yeah. for, for 115. Like she really suffers. And I think, at, take it from a guy who's been weight cutting for 20 years. I've always performed terribly when I cut weight. And when I go in as a smaller person, but healthier, I have a banging performance. No one will put a point on me. Every time that I've won Nogi Worlds at medium heavyweight, it was dominant. And I was five pounds under. And no one would score a point on me. I would I would handle people because they would get tired and I would have I would have a real strong cardio. Is it the mental hydration being drained there? <sighs> could be or anything. It, it could be anything. Yeah. I, I think mental exhaustion from weight cutting. Yeah. I think just not having that stress on your body. So I'm confident that if Whaley doesn't have to do that weight cut, the thing is she will still have to cut to make 125. Yeah. It's like she's not just walking around at that weight. She'll probably like five pounds. She won't cut. She'll diet. She'll diet it down. Maybe she'll cut a few pounds, you know, and she'll probably try to keep herself, I don't know, 130 or something. Um, I think she's going to perform better. That's what I believe. I think she'll have a better performance at that weight. I think she'll be a better athlete. I think she'll be stronger. She'll be faster. She'll be healthier. And I think that's going to make a big fact. She's already a freak athlete. At, At 115, she is a monster. You know, she, she, DC, you know, says she's the greatest athlete of all time. And she, it's, it's hard to argue with man. when you're at bang to see her from, from like the, 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 let's call it the fanboys perspective. Uh, I won't, I'm not going to name names or anything in That's that true. sense, but when you see her training compared to other people that are also professional in the gym, it's day and night. Yeah. That girl, like when she's, when you drive in and she's kicking pads, you're generally like, what is, who's in here? I've trained with her on the Saturday mornings. That's how I got my relationship with her. I was doing translations for her during when what he was doing a hit class or Shaw okay. in the mornings. Yeah, cool. Um, and then I got close with her coach and the other two guys as well. Your Chinese is pretty good. Good enough to like yeah. uh, at least explain when she's like yeah. in those classes and she's never done them. Yeah, yeah sure. And I, I could explain enough to okay. to get her going and so she wasn't because some her her english isn't that great but she's actually going to be with an, <laughs> with an english teacher here a guy named alex they're going to have some uh stuff yeah, going on she's working on it she yeah. wants she wants to improve it's and she will get good here because you're forced to speak it like yeah. when i lived in china you have to speak chinese in china or you can't even take a taxi it's right. a nightmare right. otherwise you need a translator and it's a bit annoying but my point was when you watched her uh, in those hit classes on a saturday morning where she doesn't even need to be there and even and what's good is she's surrounded by a solid team. Those those two other uh, I would call them younger guys. Yeah, yeah, they're younger. They are fucking man. They're beasts. So they're all pushing each other. Yeah. I try the, what I always try. Like a guy like Frank. Frank's and he is an elite athlete. Like that's not competing. So like I'll watch Frank, Jung, and then those two guys. And if we're doing some sort of circuit where you know maybe it's five rounds and you know ten to five different exercises, I'll legit try to keep up with them. I can maybe, <laughs> maybe do two and a half rounds where yeah. I'm neck and neck, I'm going. And then they're just gone. Yeah. And they hold that pace for yeah. like 40 minutes. You're yeah. like, how is this even possible? And and sort to end my point on that is there's also other pro athletes in the class. They're not even close. Struggling. Struggling. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 interesting to see greatness and to see like, you know, future Hall of Famers and not only like not even just a champion, but legit future Hall of Fam- Famer, best of the best, and when they yeah. compete. And I saw the same thing in Yuri, too, when he's training. Yeah. And that kind of pushes you. Yeah. And that's great to have in the gyms, especially like guys like yourself, because if you don't have your those benchmarks and when you're getting started, you don't know where the ceiling is. Yeah. Yeah. 
I've, I've tried to bring my, uh, my like a very focused obsession with like hard training to Bong Tao. And Alex had to like put the brakes on me a little bit. He's like, yeah, well, <laughs> these are not professional athletes. Like these are people who are just want to train and learn. He's like, if you push them too hard like that, you know, maybe they're not going to come back. I think people, but they come here. I, I would argue that. I would say if you're coming yeah. here to Phuket and you're coming to train, you're, you've come here for the reason to train, yeah. go rest, go do your massage. Yeah. You're, you're not here to play. If you want to go play, go to some Mickey mouse gym in Rawai. Right, right. If you're at Bangtown Muay Thai. This is legit. If I'm coming here and I see someone like yourself and someone like John and these pro athletes in the gym, I'm going to try to reach that level. I, you're not going to do it, but you might as well give it a go. I think. Yeah. I, this was the time. This was like before our grand okay. opening when we were, um, we were just having open training every morning, you know, that we had, we didn't even have a class schedule yet. And I was, I was trying to push these guys super hard. And then like, I think there's a time and a place for it. Like maybe the 10 AM class is not the time for that kind of push. Maybe the 4 PM MMA class is that's the time for that kind of push. Um, and I, you know, it's all right. See, I would think I would do it in the, me for, I work at it in the mornings cause that's when I have the most energy. That's when we have our, our competition trainings are in the mornings. Yeah. So that's for me, the 10 AM class is like, that's go time. Like no messing around. We're yeah. going to, we're going to grind through this. We're doing 10 rounds, you know, let's, let's push till we're dead. But like he had to remind me, like actually a lot of the athletes come here in the morning to learn technique and then they want to come back uh, at 4 PM. Well, if you murder them at, 10 a.m. Okay, I see. Maybe they don't come back to the class they need to come back to, which is the 4 p.m. class. That makes sense. And they're yeah. getting their rest in between me. It's because yeah. I got to work, so I push my ass at the, the 8, 9 a.m.s. But uh, sometimes I, I was doing pretty good and doing twice a day and going to the hit. But, man, by 5 o'clock, I'm gassed. Like, mentally, like, yeah. it's hard to push your ass there. Um, okay, before we wrap this up, because we're always trying to keep it under, what are we, hour 10? Oh, we yeah. had passed an hour. Hour 10, yeah. It flies by. I guess Go the Google say. algorithm has the gun to our head. They told us we have to be under an hour 19. Oh, is that what, that's the magic number? Uh, uh, between 50 to an hour 19. Okay. We got to keep it in there. Okay. Um, right when you go outside, like everything just drops off. Interesting. Uh, what we learned about YouTube is like when you do long form content, there's actually like different categories of people who watch long form content. Okay. Meaning like there's the guy that will watch the 45 to an hour. Yeah. Then there's the person that will just watch one hour and a half to whatever. Interesting. But you got to kind of stay in that uh, little thing. So fuck you, YouTube. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, one last question. So you, uh, you had your match with uh, Ty Rutolo, and that was at ABC. Yeah. You won that. You did quite well in that competition. Um, thoughts on that, and will you continue to go back to those competitions? Yeah. If they invite me to the next uh, edition of ADCC World Championships, I will do it. I will. I'm not going to go out of my way to go to the trials and try to earn a spot. Um, you know, if the invitation comes, I will take it. But at the, at, I will probably have an academy at that time. Um, so that's probably where all my time and energy will be going into. But if I get the invitation, I will carve out a three-month window for me to do a training camp. Um, I will probably just do that at my own academy and maybe I'll drive down to Autos. That's why I like the idea of Orange County because I'm within an hour's drive of, of Autos. So I could drive down to San Diego and train with them anytime I want. And Andre's still there. Yeah, yeah. That's where the headquarters is, where he lives. It's his, his spot. So I, I, want, I just want to be able to go back. You know, that's where I've, all of my jiu-jitsu development happened. So I, I need to keep that connection. Um, is there a ceiling on, on age? I mean, obviously with, information technology i mean diet what we know today um athletes at that elite level can probably push i mean 
I'm a hockey player. We got guys like Jeremy Yager that played till they're like 48 and they kept going. Do you see a day where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not sure. Are you just going to listen to your body? I think I could do it. I think I could keep, I could probably keep competing for 10 more years. But the question is, is that a, is that a, an effective use of my time? Is it? I don't think so. I think I can do more with an academy. I think, like I said, I, I, the, the goal is to, to build a community, build a team of people, and, and just help people improve their lives. I just think, I think jiu-jitsu is just such a massive tool for improving people's lives. And I know I have a gift to give to people, you know, the gift of jiu-jitsu. And I think I have a, a, good, uh, a good handle on, on communication, teaching, you know, I had a pretty decent education. I've had good jujitsu instructors. I think my ability to communicate jujitsu to people is quite, quite solid, and I want to take advantage of that. And I and I think I think the business will do very well. Uh, so I uh, totally lost my train of thought. Well, no, it's it's, it's <laughs> we're focusing where to put your energy, like yeah. on on so, whether, yeah. I think I have the physical capability of competing for ten more years. I just don't think that's the best use of my time because at this age. Getting myself into the peak condition takes quite a while. I do have to do kind of long camps and, and slowly ramp myself up over time to get to a peak level of condition. And it was quite unfortunate that I had to have that peak conditioning of ADCC where I had, you know, I had to, I had to fight one of the greatest jujitsu athletes, Ty Rotolo. Um, and then I had to go into this training camp with Whaley where I just didn't do really anything. I'm just trained with a, a, a 120 pound girl every day, which is not hard for me. You know, I'm just teaching her and then we roll, teach and roll. It wasn't ever a, really a workout for me. Um, so my conditioning just dropped off and I'm back into like normal Josh and not super Josh. Um, yeah, you go into those. I mean, if you're training for any type of elite competition, I mean, mentally, uh, you must get that tunnel vision almost. Where you're like, this is it. This is the focus. We gotta. Yeah, you. Yeah, you go in, when you're in camp mode. You're yeah. in camp mode. Doesn't you just see nothing else? Just eat, train, sleep. Eat, train, sleep. Eat, train, sleep. Recover. Where does that drive come from? Because, from my understanding, you're saying I just came from an average. You know, it's same with me. We just grew up. It's I was in suburbs. It's high. You go to high school, but I mean, every wrestler that starts at a young age, that's usually the discipline and drive. They're the. It's regardless what everyone. Everyone in MMA agrees with that. These wrestlers, they have that discipline, they have the hard drive, they're cutting weight. So that's where that can come from. But where did it come from you to even get to that level, to have that discipline, to be able to keep pushing yourself? I, I, all the credit goes to my coach. Yeah, Andre Gavao was like the greatest coach that you could ever, ever want. He, he's the most inspirational, motivating, positive, um, supportive man that you could have as a coach. Just He taught me so much about controlling your your thoughts your mind keeping your mind in the right place for hard training and and competition and not letting negative thoughts kind of eat you up and and cause doubt in your in your mind and and hold you back a lot of people don't try because they just have so much self-doubt and he really taught me how to just overcome that and it, it was a process of years listening to him speak after training or during training or you know during lunch and and just picking his brain over the years and he always has a message to give after training you know and and i've just kind of I, I i i those were gold nuggets for me you know i just you know i've, I've seen a hundred of them I, and the things that he said really resonated with me and and some of the the stories that he told about his own experiences i really held on to those and they helped me massively so 
having Andre as a coach really, I mean, and he knows how to push you. I, I swear to God, man, the, the trainings that we used to do, I thought it was just insane. I thought this is just not healthy. I was like, we're pushing too hard. This is too much. The human body is going to break at this point. And, and he's like, no, you know, you have to train hard and rest hard, you know, just rest harder. Don't, you know, eat, train, sleep, right? You can't do anything else because you're training so hard that you are absolutely required to get your ass right back into bed after training and eat, shower, sleep. And you need to rest until the next training session. And then you get in there and you grind through it. And uh, it, it was all him, man. He really, he really gave me that, the education I needed on how to perform at a very high level. Yeah, that's, uh, Khabib said that in a recent interview. He's like, well, how do you train so hard? He's like, I rest. He's like, I will train hard and I will rest for three hours. You have to. Because if you don't rest, there's just no way you can recover. Yeah. And especially at, a, at an older age, like you really need that rest to be able to, you know, be controlled it. When you're controlling the mind, do you have any like secrets that you tell yourself to push yourself? So I was playing not super high level hockey, but high enough. And every time maybe I, I call it back checking and you're trying to get back to the play to get back in and you're, you get that feeling, your legs burn out. Yeah. And I would always mentally, when I hit that feeling, I would pretend someone was chasing me, like they were going to kill me. And then you keep, you can push through that like little gap yeah. and you can get to that, you know, you get that extra edge. Is there something mentally that you tell yourself when those thoughts come in and things are getting difficult? Yeah. I try to, I try to imagine the, the, any kind of negative thoughts that I have, I just try to, I try to imagine that this is an external creature talking to me. You know, you can, whatever, whatever you believe in, whatever you can think of it as a demon, you can think of it as a spirit. You can just think of it as like, you know how we always imagine these cartoons on our shoulders, the angel and the devil, just imagine it like that. I, I always imagine like a gargoyle, you know, and he's just like on my back and he's just kind of like whispering these negative things into my mind because they, they don't want you to succeed. And I just, I, I imagine them as just external forces that are trying to influence me. Just, just like a shitty friend, you know, who's just like, ah, oh, don't do that. You can't do that. Uh, no, you know, let's just stay in bed, you know, like, oh, you, you know, oh, you're probably not going to win. So let's, why, why, why try, you know? And you have to like, think of them as a toxic human or a creature or a person and just talk and you talk back to them. You tell them, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Don't get out of my life. You know, like you're trying to cut out this toxic person from your life. And that's kind of what these negative thoughts are. You have to like literally, and Andre gave me this advice. He said, you have to literally speak to that voice in a proactive way and say, shut up, shut up, tell it to shut up and then reaffirm yourself. Like tell yourself, no, like I'm, I'm good at jujitsu. I've trained hard. I'm in shape. I'm ready. I have these great techniques that no one can stop. And you have to kind of pump yourself up and it helps a lot. It's, it's, it's like a, I call it just positive reinforcement. You know, just, you have to re-speak to yourself in a positive way. These affirmations essentially. Yeah. Because if you, you're, you know, th what Andre always explained to me is like your, your mind is kind of at this like slanted little slope. Right. And so naturally our thoughts always kind of slide down into this negative pit. This is the negative stuff down at the bottom and the positive thoughts are up here at the top. And so if we don't do anything just in an, our natural state, your mind is constantly sliding down. And you have to proactively climb up to that positive mindset. You have to make an effort, a conscious effort to do that. And if you don't do anything like most of us, most people, not me, uh, but we slide. And, and sometimes it just, you let yourself slide too far. And all of a sudden now you're like self-conscious and you have all this doubt. And you definitely need to make an effort to climb up that slope to get into that positive mindset. It, it takes work. 
in and practice. It's, it's it's interesting when you're dealing with Brazilians at that level. He's Brazilian, right? Yeah. Especially, I, I used to date a Brazilian, lived with her for six years, and a lot of Brazilian friends. But I'm sure we can relate on this. When a Brazilian's explaining to you things, there's always they always have so many sayings that when they try to translate into English, it's kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, I can't even recall them, but their language and the way that they can connect like these metaphors or analogies that they can, it's <laughs> yeah. so interesting. Andre has a lot of metaphors. Yeah. Really, he's really good with the metaphors, yeah. but I like the metaphors. I really find that they make it easier to remember things. You know, he, he had this really funny story. He was trying to teach us to do a long step. And when you do this, you have to stay really low to the mat. You pass this person's guard and you put your head on their chest and you have to really kind of stay heavy on the mat. And um, he said, imagine that there's someone over there with a machine gun shooting at you and you have to hide behind this person's body to don't get to not get shot. Mm. And I thought, wow, what a graphic analogy. But this was like 10, 12 years ago. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. And like, when you're in that position. Yeah, I always that. remember that. It was a, it's a great analogy. So um, it was very graphic and unique. And uh, but I never forgot it. Yeah. So are you incorporating those teaching methods into your stuff? Oh, yeah. I love analogies. Yeah, I love like stupid little stories. I. I talk about when I'm, I, I talk about grabbing people's chin and, and like when you layer your hands, I said, look, it's like a cheeseburger. You know, I got the meat and the cheese, the lettuce. And, and I talk about like a, I call something a snot rainbow. I have a snot rainbow technique when you have to put your nose on the mat and you have to kind of like crunch your abdomen and make an arcing motion to make a guillotine. And I say, you have to make draw a, a rainbow on the mat with your nose. And so like imagine it's a snot rainbow because you're of snot. And that's how people can connect <laughs> to these stories as well. They're able to, you know, visualize it. So yeah. then it's not so dry. Like it's not dry theory in that sense either. And with kids, yeah. you know, I use a lot of animal analogies, yeah. lobster claw grips and stuff like that. So yeah, any kind of, any kind of analogy uh, helps people remember things and it's a great teaching tool and it's something that my coach used and something that I use. And I've had people come back to me years later and they're like, I remember the cheeseburger, <laughs> cheeseburger chin strap. Well, there's so much technique and to learn in, in, in jujitsu that you need to attach it to something yeah, sure. to, to allow the brain to connect and recall it as well. Well, I think, I think, um, uh, tenth, the 10th planet system gets a lot of, a lot of heat or criticism because they made up all these new names for the techniques that already had names. Yeah. But I said, well, well maybe that's, uh, that's their way of remembering, you know? And in coaching, maybe when they go to ADCC, they're able to communicate yeah. and they have their own language. True. Also, right. also, I think that's also true. Okay, yeah. let's let's wrap this up. Um, YouTube hates us now for this. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to kick which camera, Hans? Where we at? It's like hot, hot ones. This camera, this camera. Uh, which one? That Good. one. Okay, uh, uh, Josh, if you could just let the audience know and uh, where they can find you, whether it's Instagram, it's a website, any type of information, and what you have coming up. Um, you said in March and possibly April, you do have another seminar. Yeah. So just let them know. Yeah. Um, so you can follow me on Instagram, HingerBJJ, um, or on Facebook. My athlete page is Josh HingerBJJ. Um, if you want to check out my old podcast, which I'm not actively creating anymore, but we have about 45 really cool episodes. It's on, um, the mattburnpodcast.com. Um, and what was that? What else was I supposed to You do? said you have seminar in April. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm hosting camps at Bong Tao, uh, one week jujitsu camps. Uh, I just finished one, uh, a few days ago. It was a huge success. We had, I keep it less than 20 people. I like to keep it super exclusive. I want to be able to really get to know everybody really well and have time to train with everybody and, and help everybody individually. So I keep them very small. They're very exclusive. Um, and it was a great time. Everyone 
everyone had a blast. So uh, we have another one in March. It's already sold out uh, last week of March. But I'm definitely going to think about just throwing another one into April um, if, if the demand is there. How uh, can people just follow your Instagram for the news? And Yeah. So turn on the notification on the Instagram to be able to at least see yes. if this stuff is coming. Yes. Go on Instagram. Um, you can shoot me a DM on Instagram. Um or email me, uh, hingerbjj at gmail. Yeah, email is nice too. Yeah. Or And also may, go follow Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA because I'm sure they'll they, announce it there as well. They also, yes, announce, announce it. Yeah, follow Bangtao Muay Thai MMA. Yeah. Best gym in the world. The world. It definitely, I was going to say gym, It's the best gym in the world. Yeah, I, I, but don't tell everyone. I live here too. Come on. It's the best gym yeah, in the world. And then Bangtao is the, this is just the best area in the a, world. It's a, and it's, it's growing. It's it's crazy. It's, it's the beach is literally a hundred meters from the gym yeah, and no, it's gorgeous. Don't come. <laughs> don't bring everyone here. Damn it. You'll get your, it's going to be packed here. Get, uh, next five years. I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm stoked. Okay. That ends another episode. Thanks a lot for Josh showing up. He's hopefully Alex isn't too pissed off. Maybe I'll see him later. I'll rub it in a bit. No, it's okay. I'm joking. Um, Hans, big shout out going to South Africa. I don't even know which this Christmas episode will end. I air, I guess we'll have to air it around Christmas and Safe travels. We're looking out for Jong Wei Li. She's coming back in February, so uh, I'm excited to see.